We're brought to you by Creature Path Golf Course. Get your season passes now. From the mayor's office above the boathouse on the east shore of Spoon Lake. It's Garage Logic with Rookie on Production, Chris Reavers, Director of Social Media, John Hyde in the newsroom, and occasionally Kenny from the Krabby Coffee Shop. Here is your flashlight king, fireworks commissioner, and keeper of common sense, your mayor. Joe Sushire. I don't have volume on this. <laughs> I'm alerted by emailer John Dunn. You ready? GLers all around the world. John Dunn emailed you. We're power washing Babe the Blue Ox and Paul Bunyan. I don't believe this. I hope I'm not everyone sure. consents. The principal reason why this would be folly, in any event, John can, Dunn writes... Can, I, can we play this game before? Can, can I t- take a stab at it? Sure. Um, uh, Paul Bunyan is being power washed because... Oh, wait a minute. I don't want you to guess why. Well, go ahead. Go or, ahead. I thought you were going to tell me why it's folly that no. Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox are being power washed. He, he, he's, he's come under fire, this mythical figure, because he represents... Um, Toxic masculinity. <laughs> no, but you, you already said it. You already said it. It's mythical. They aren't based on... There's nothing... The best to my knowledge, there has never been a giant blue ox roaming around northern Minnesota. Boy, nor a uh, 50-foot tall lumberjack. He would have been in all the newspapers. Uh, uh uh, John Dunn writes, I have screenshots of recent articles and reader response from the Bemidji Pioneer regarding the genocide graffiti painted on Babe the Blue Ox. Uh, and then he alerts me to go to the uh, Bemidji Pioneer and, and search for the article. And I did. It appeared on January 11, which I believe was last Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, why genocide? Question mark. Graffiti and Bemidji landmark sparks debate is the headline on the story in the Bemidji Pioneer uh, written by Joe Bowen. Genocide. That's what was spray-painted last week on a statue of Babe the Blue Ox, a pillar of Minnesota and American folklore that stands beside a Paul Bunyan statue in downtown Bemidji. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're a tourist attraction, a nod to the region's long-standing logging industry, and a cherished symbol writ large of northern Minnesota's grizzled self-image. It's identity. It's an identity of America. Bill Batchelder, a longtime Bemidji resident and business owner who's an outspoken proponent of the region, said of the statue's meaning. But they can also evoke colonialism and deforestation. American Indian culture and opinion isn't a monolith, but to some, Paul and Babe can denote the loss of native land, resources, livelihoods, and people that followed white Western expansion. When indigenous people look at a statue like that, we're thinking loss, said Nikki Michael, an indigenous studies professor. Well, that's all you need to know. She's working Uh for the failed academy. An indigenous study. And what is the principal job now in the failed academy? Um, to the victimization. Uh, just to find it every day in every way, even if you're going to go after the preposterous notion that a fake, mythical Babe the Blue Ox uh, and Paul Bunyan somehow represent uh, 
colonialism. <laughs> when indigenous people look at a statue like that, we're thinking lost, said Nikki Michael, an indigenous studies professor at Bemidji State University. Paul Bunyan may be figurative, but he and the Blue Ox represent the loggers who took over the land and then, of course, were followed by settlers. Someone graffitied the statue. I didn't know graffitied was a verb. Someone Hmm. graffitied the statue in the wee (laughs) hours between January 1st and January 2nd. City workers quickly painted over it, but photos and a charged debate have persisted in Bemidji area social media circles. All right. By the way, the um, the uh, the paint job that they uh, (laughs) performed on the uh, they didn't. They didn't really. They didn't put you a brought lot of a big picture it. of it up on the you screen. You know what they needed? They needed Fratelloni. Like they needed the blue paint yeah, chip. Isn't there in a closet somewhere? <laughs> this is from the Duluth News Tribune. Isn't there in a in a in a closet somewhere in the county? It says the uh, right matching paint, blue. Yeah, paint for a babe. This, this is, is babe's blue. Right, yeah. Babe's blue. They used a different color blue to eliminate <laughs> to eliminate to obliterate the graffiti on uh, on babe. It oh. was shop talk too. Hey, yeah. get that blue paint out of the yeah. shop. We don't have any brushes. Just use a broom, <laughs> which is, I think, what they did. Love this act of indigenous resistance, one person commented on the Pioneer's Facebook page. No more tall tales. Fictional storytelling is unacceptable, wondered another. Even planned alterations to the statues have been a touchy subject. A proposal in 2015 to landscape the area around them sparked a civic firestorm and drew comparisons to the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. City planners scrapped the plan. It identifies Bemidji. It defines northern Minnesota. It defines a lifestyle, Batchelder said, of the Paul Bunyan statue. And anybody that puts this in a politically charged environment that we're living in now, a deeper meaning to it just makes me feel bad. And it hurts because children from all over the world have come to the headwaters of the Mississippi to celebrate Paul Bunyan and to celebrate Bemidji. Clear-cutting techniques used in the 1800s had cascading environmental impacts that have ultimately salted the earth in some places and annihilated woodland caribou in the region, said Anton Truer, a professor of Ojibwe at Bemidji State University. Why didn't these people speak up before if this was such a problem? Uh, Good question. In the Native experience, the story of white homesteaders coming and finding sweet American apple pie in the Minnesota frontier is a story of loss and taking in their world he said, and you can't separate those two things, and that's just one of the tensions around how do we talk about this history. The statues were built in 1937 for a winter carnival designed to increase tourism, and they've been staples of Bemidji City Center ever since. Paul and Babe have been featured in parades and postcards and are the backdrop for countless family and tourist photos. Many here claim the statues are the second most photographed tourist attraction in the country. They've also really? been used in films. Uh, well, they were in Fargo, so you'd have to use the you have to accuse the Cohen brothers right. uh, of uh, of colonialism and imperialism. All right, let me start here. Check this out. First of all, we we've reached out to Dutch Cragen, but like any intelligent uh, Minnesotan, he's he's not in Minnesota right no, now. Right. He's he's in Florida. He's no dummy. And we left messages, and you know, God bless Dutch. I hope he's out deep sea fishing. He did, probably never got around to hearing us. But he, I remember on one of our visits to Cragen's for a broadcast, Rook helped me. He told us uh, the history. He was instrumental in, in bringing this about. Yes. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Were these initially in Brainerd, or is there a separate uh, cast of characters there in Brainerd? Is, I don't know if these two specifically were in Brainerd, but the legend, where the legend began, is controversial because Brainerd and Bemidji both claim 
to be uh, Paul Bunyan land. That's I think that's what Dutch was getting at that the that the civic uh, confrontation was between Brainerd and Bemidji as to who uh, could claim Paul and Babe first. Correct. Something like that. Yes. All right. In any event, they're they're mythical. They don't represent anything except they're made up. I, I, I'm hoping that it's correct, but I find it hard to believe that uh, Paul and, and Babe would be one of the top uh, photograph places of, of in the country. Well, I can see that. I mean, if you're there, you're going to get your picture taken. Percentage-wise, yes. If you visit, visit Bemidji, you're going to get your picture taken there. But well, and a lot of other stuff going let's on. Let's ask the question we always ask. It, you've now power-washed Babe uh, an ox. You've, you've power-washed an animal. He's got the wrong blue stripe, for and God's sake. They, they right. power-washed, right. uh, they painted over the uh, graffiti with the wrong shade of blue. Right. Royal Maybe blue they can the get cost. together and fix that this summer. Uh <laughs> But you've power-washed now an ox, and you've power-washed a woodsman, all right? Mm -hmm. What's next? In St. Paul, just beginning, is the St. Paul Winter Carnival. How long before that whole cast of mythical and legendary characters will be power-washed? How could it possibly be in 2019 that you still have a queen of the snows and a king, Boreas. That's sexist. Oh, God. Uh, who, have, who have traditionally been one of two genders. The king has been male. The queen has been female. Right. That, how long before that gets challenged or changed? Uh, wow. You have Then you like have, in the legend, you have the, uh, the hectoring enemy of the king uh, and queen are the, uh, are the dreadful hated Vulcans mm-hmm. who dress in uh, red outfits uh, and uh, go around and uh, well, not anymore, but they used to go around and smudge women, uh, and that that got changed before the power washing days, right? And, and as well, it should have. You know, it it, it wasn't uh, it, it was overdue that that should have been changed. Uh, but how long before someone, uh, probably in the failed academy, will write some ridiculous uh, paper that suggests that it's no longer appropriate. You can foghorn me if you want. It's no longer appropriate to have a queen and a king of anything. Look how that's been undermined in the failed academy. You know, you, you can't have a homecoming king and queen anymore, even in high schools. Uh, or how long, how long will it be before uh, a transgendered pair, and I'm not being facetious, will be promoted as the, as the royalty of the carnival? How long will it be before maybe two women will represent the royalty, or two uh, or two guys represent the uh, represent the loyalty? I'm the queen. Um, <laughs> well, you, you're you're right. What's you're, under attack? Is, you're right on this convention, and it would be it would be fun to just leave well enough alone, and, and to have a a king and a queen. Traditionally, that's what it is. It's not insulting to anybody that is. Trying to cross gender barriers or anybody that might be uh, gay, lesbian, whatever the case may be. It's just a fun thing. But you know what, Joe? Unfortunately, I, I, I don't know what the timeline is, but I'm, I'm sure it, it will, especially with the, the, the way the city council acts in oh. St. Paul, they, they would be apt to say, we're not going to allow you to have that street block for the torchlight parade because you have a male and a female king. Wouldn't surprise me a bit. Would not surprise me a bit, even in in our lifetime. And plug in no. your own town. It's not just St. Paul. Plug in your own town wherever you're listening to the podcast. 
uh, it's it's fated to happen. And then you've got Klondike Kate. I was just going to bring that up. She's always been seen as a robust woman. Yes. Well, that's fat shaming, isn't it? But but yeah. that was that was part. It was a a willing participant. Of course, it was a badge of honor to be Klondike Kate. Oh, absolutely, still yeah, is. Corset on, push those uh, ample bosoms way up to create some cleavage. And belt and then, out saloon size. Yes, yes. Yeah. But that's going to be seen as the promotion of uh, an unhealthy lifestyle. Hmm. I'm not diminishing Kate, by the way. I, I think not. all Kates have been fun and great, and we've had we've had Kates on. Over Hell, years, I've been a yeah, judge of the Klondike Kate uh, uh, contest to see who got picked to be and Klondike. From Kate. what you remember, it was pretty good. <laughs> I think I think so. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> you got Vulcan, uh, the chief Vulc, Volcanus Rex. He waves a sword around. That's an instrument of terror and weaponry in public. Can't well, do that. well, they've, they've already, already taken away the gun. They've already curbed the uh, at, at, at very what, at certain intervals. They can go ahead and fire yeah, off. I that think cap it was when Seamus McNulty shot up a bank or something. Oh, he, uh, yeah. Plaster was so, falling out of the well, ceiling. Probably a good move. Yeah, I think so. Let's Might get be. the gun away yeah. from him. Right. Yeah. Then you got you have Princess <laughs> of the West Wind. Yes. And, and princesses. And princesses of the West Wind, the East Wind, the North Wind, the South Wind. In, uh, the South Wind, that's cultural appropriation because they take on almost a, a Mexican uh, flavor in their outfits, in their songs. You're right. Right? That's, You're right. That's cultural appropriation. We're doing the work of the failed academy for you, them. Why, yeah, yeah why we're giving we them ideas. This? No, they don't need to be given ideas. I'm sure some fool in the failed academy, uh, local a local failed academy, will be on this shortly. Or, as Rook pointed out, the people in the salon will deem this to be beneath them. And they'll uh, they'll put the kibosh on. Deny it. the permit for the uh, the closing. And of I, the... see, you guys aren't, but I'm old enough to remember when the St. Paul Winter Carnival was a massive, massive successful undertaking. The parade started. At, imagine this: the Grand Day Parade started. If I'm somebody, will correct me if I'm wrong via email. Mm-hmm. The Grand Day Parade started at Dale and Summit. Dale and Summit. Okay. Wound down Summit, past the cathedral, downtown. In through and through the auditorium, which would have been packed with people watching the parade come in and then out of the auditorium. Wow. That's pretty cool. And then you had national celebrities in here as the, uh, what's that called when you're the head of the parade? The Grand, the Grand Marshal. Marshal. You'd yeah. have uh, Art Linkletter or Gary Moore or... Uh, Mickey you know, Rooney Mickey, or something Mickey, like that? Yeah, celebrities. And then they were stuck with you two one year. Yeah, well, then, it, you, if you have me as the Grand Marshal, you're already down. You're on. Right. You're yeah, sliding. You're sliding. So you got a couple. Joe of... Joe Mauer is the Grand Marshal this year. That's a step up. Yeah. Yeah. When I think when you were Grand Marshal, there were maybe a couple of no's have been sent back, and they, you know, grab Such, will you? Mm-hmm. Grab Such. He's sitting over there at the paper. We got him. <laughs> they asked me on Friday. Right. <laughs> uh, it used to be Three. just a big. Big successful deal, and what led we, to its de- not demise? You but know what? all the history. You know, I'll give you a little history. It was started by the James J. Hill crowd that wanted, wanted to tell their pals back in Boston and Philadelphia and New York, "We're all right out here. You people keep diminishing us because it's winter. Right. We're fine. <clears throat> Look what we're going to do." And they would build magnificent ice palaces and toboggan runs, and there would be marching clubs. And now Reaver asked, what was the demise? The demise is the absolute loss of commerce in St. Paul. What you had were all the businesses had marching units in the parade, the railroads, the department stores, the industries, uh, you know, the manufacturers. You're down to very, Mm -hmm. very little right now. There's just not much left down there. what what continues to sad? It, well, the capital city of Saint, of Minnesota, and it, there's 
It, it's just dwindling to other nothing. than uh, other than Jaime's, you couldn't buy a shirt in downtown St. Paul. I was uh, discussing this with the St. Paul resident oh, a couple months back. That think if St. Paul didn't have the Wild or the XL Energy Center, don't 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 spook me because I I cross my fingers that that won't change. But 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 the, the basic the the premise of the discussion was if that wasn't the case, what the hell would there be in St. Paul? Nothing, nothing, right? Nothing. And, and they've done a great job with West 7th. We talked about it the other day. All of those new spots that are on West 7th, it's it's fun. It's a really cool spot. Yeah, but now. I don't know that dining can be the sole industry of a, of a thriving capital city. But in 2019, it almost has to be. It, 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 it can't. However, the, the nature of all of these restaurants competing, yeah. whether it's they're, they're a uh, um, craft beer place or they've got the specialty food, that is bringing people back, at least for a night. When I uh, was the Grand Marshal, I wore Louis Cardinal's Great Northern Railroad oh, marching coat. Yes. All the railroads had marching teams. All the department stores had marching teams. I've since donated that to the Winter Carnival History Museum. A nice move. Well, it was a very gorgeous coat. Right. Very I thick remember wool yes. and, and green and red, and it was, it was beautiful. Uh, those, days are, those days, unfortunately, are long, long gone. Well, if you if you're asked to be Grand Marshal at the last minute again, you can run down to the museum and don it and go. And it used to be just St. Paul people, uh, but uh, in fairness, uh, it it's became so democratized that you know the Vulcans now are likely to be from Cottage Grove and Woodbury and White Bear. And it used to be, let's face it, it used to be a bunch of the people in downtown St. Paul who had lunch every day at the athletic club and said, "Hey, this year you eight guys be the Vulcans and we'll be the we'll be the sure. king guys." Yeah. You know? right. And that got opened up, to, which was great. That got opened up to other people, which it should have been opened up to other people. Uh, how do we get on this? Oh, yeah, the power washing of Babe, the Blue Ox, and Paul Bunyan. If you can power wash those mythical and legendary figures and attach them to somehow the denigration of indigenous America, then it's not a stretch of the imagination that you could say the same thing about a uh, a glorious white queen of the snows mm-hmm. ruling the land and her king Boreas ruling the land mm-hmm. uh, you could certainly make the same claim that uh, they came along and, and wiped out what was here beforehand and it's going to happen you know damn well it's going to happen jeez that's um, that's really up, uplifting I really, I'm really happy that's my job really that's <laughs> what I do the end of the world as we know it, and he feels fine. Joe Suchere. I'll get her now, Robbie. Proof that uh, most of life is presented to us by the news gathering industries. Tinged in doom. Tinged in gloom and doom, right? Yes. Sure. I've been reading this story for 15 years, which I'm about to read. Okay. The world's most popular coffee species are going extinct, and scientists say we are to blame because of climate change, of course. Uh, You can go into any coffee store I know right now, you can buy a bag of coffee. 
that I, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to worry about this. What are they saying? They're, they're For 15 beans? years, I've read we're going to be out of gas. We're going to be out of oil. We're going to be out of bourbon. We're going to be out of coffee. <laughs> uh, craft beer is now threatened because of the government shutdown. Uh, we're going to we're going to be out of this. We're going to be out of that. We're probably more abundant than we've ever been. Mm-hmm. There was an interesting piece in the Pioneer Press today. I urge recommend I recommend people to read it. It was an editorial by a guy named uh, David Vondrelli uh, of the Washington Post, uh, essentially saying, "Don't fall for these doomsday predictions. We're doing just great." It's a it's an interesting. Uh, he quotes. Uh, he said, "British cleric Thomas Robert Malthus promoted the terror of apocalyptic overpopulation in a memorable 1798 treatise. Memorable, that is, for being so wrong-headed. Malthus anticipated that the population would soon outstrip the food supply. Instead, the rapidly growing human race set off a long set off on a long tear of unprecedented economic growth and prosperity." That Malthus missed by a mile did not prevent the rise of neo-Malthusians in the 1950s and 60s, whose fallacies reached a zenith in the runaway 1968 bestseller, Population Bomb, by Paul Ehrlich. He was a Berkeley professor. That was the start of the failed academy, in my estimation. That dismal book floated ideas such as mandatory sterilization and attacks on children to save the planet. In China... Such muddled thinking produced a draconian one-child policy decreed in 1979 that will hamper the country's growth for decades to come. Uh, what, what this guy's arguing for is, why would anyone wish for fewer human brains on Earth? That's like wishing for fewer diamonds or rubies. Right. In other words, he's celebrating the human capacity to adapt and innovate and bring about newness. So this David Vaughn, this guy, he, he's, a, this is a, he's a pushback guy. In the Washington Post, yeah. Pushback guy well, saying, this, don't listen to this story crap. Is. So well, let me get back to coffee. Uh, I'm not going to panic here. I, I bet we're not running out of coffee. What does it mean, running out of coffee? They're not planting cocoa beans enough? because it seems Researchers like- at Kew Royal Botanic Gardens in the U.K. warn that climate change, deforestation, droughts, and plant diseases oh, are putting the future of coffee at risk. The important thing to remember is that coffee requires a forest habitat for its survival. Senior researcher Aaron P. Davis told CNN, and CNN, of course, uh, has never found a story they could not uh, fashion in some hysterical, right, so they ran hysterical way. With so much deforestation going on around the world, wild coffee species are being impacted at an alarming rate. Davis added that coffee plants grow in very specific natural habitats, so rising temperatures and increased rainfall brought by climate change can make coffee impossible to grow in places the plants once thrived. Yada, 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 yada. It's you, know, again, you know what? I'm not buying it. it, it, it fits, I've been told this for 15 years. It fits the narrative of the template that you were just discussing, though. Right. The, 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 the progressives and their, their climate change BS. Well, I can't, I can't go without my coffee. Mm-hmm. This fits right into that. Mm-hmm. Why, do we always, why does it have to be gloom and doom, though? Why, why do we always have to point out? Mysterians don't like people. I've taught you that. I, I know that, but you would think at some point... Um, uh, they would overcome the, the scare tactics and just say, you know, we're doing really good. We're, we're on pause for a while because things are going well. Mm-hmm. They never come out with anything positive. It's always panic. Uh, we got to do something about this immediately, immediately. And they never, they never seem to be satisfied. 
The study published in Science Advances, a collaboration between scientists in the U.K. and Ethiopia, say that unless governments and commercial producers ramp up protections for coffee species and stockpile more seeds, it could impact your daily grind. If you were coffee crops, means your morning cup might get more expensive and taste worse. Yeah. I wonder how the supply not buying it. of coffee was diminished by the mayor smashing the beans in the driveway a year and a half ago. One more. Can yeah, I do one more? To, yeah, you can probably do one more. It's getting pretty, ooh, yeah. it's getting pretty small. It's getting pretty strong. Right. What's, what's he doing out there? Hey, he's grinding coffee. I think, Rook, I got this one just for you. I I'm think, not done with coffee. I, okay. I think if there is a coffee shortage, uh, there will be an uproar. If that turns out to be legitimate, there'll be an uproar, but I think those guys are all planting more. Is it, isn't coffee the, the, uh, the, Principal drink of of the of the millennials and the Mysterians. Oh, heavens! Yeah, sure. Can't go anywhere without your cup of coffee. Right, right. I'm I particularly fond of coffee, and I'm, I'm I'm probably make the best coffee I've ever tasted. I'm not exaggerating. I'm but not after humble. ten, right? Very not humble. after ten. No, I have two cups. Very a day. humble. Two cups a day. Tried to. Uh, I don't know that I've ever tasted your coffee. You don't. You're not a coffee drinker, are you? I am a coffee. Just I have I've had one cup of coffee today, and that was it. All right, Rook. A hamburger a week, but no more. That's about as much red meat as people should eat to do what's best for their health no. and the planet. No. Human diet. I'm not buying this one either. One burger a week. That should it be it for the red meat. Human diet causing catastrophic damage to the planet. The way humanity produces and eats food must radically change to avoid millions of deaths and catastrophic damage to the planet, according to a landmark study. Hmm. The key to both goals is a dramatic shift in the global diet. Roughly half as much sugar and red meat and twice as many vegetables, fruits, and nuts. A consortium of three dozen researchers concluded in The Lancet, a medical journal. We are in a catastrophic situation. Co-author Tim Lang, a professor at the University of London and policy lead for the Eat Lancet Commission that compiled <laughs> the 50-page study, told uh, agency French That's Press. That's Currently, a billion people are hungry and another two billion are eating too much of the wrong foods, causing epidemics of obesity, heart disease, and diabetes. Uh, At the same time, the global food system is the single largest emitter of greenhouse gases, the biggest driver of biodiversity loss, and the main cause of deadly algae blooms along coasts and inland waterways. Well, the red tide in Florida dates back hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of years. It's a natural occurrence of nature. Right. Uh, two, they're telling me the same thing they're trying to tell me about coffee, that because we raise beef cattle, we're harming the uh, the planet. Uh, I guess these people want to get rid of cows. Uh, the cows are going to naturally die out anyway, as they have for how many years? And just because we're um, breeding more cows, maybe at a faster pace than nature would like it, it still works. Uh, they're going after the rich people. We're not saying everyone has to eat in the same way. Uh, the, the study said, but broadly, especially in the rich world, it means a reduction of meat and dairy. So it's it's our fault. It's again, it's another attack on America. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Yep. But think about this: every farmer that's out there, um, what he eats on his farm, and they eat like kings, uh, whether it's beef, chicken, or uh, dairy products. And those guys are living to be ninety-five years old. Uh, uh, beef is the main culprit. The beef is the target. Of Mysterian uh, climate change uh, warriors. Uh, they don't like beef. Uh, not only do cattle pass massive quantities of planet warming methane, oh. uh, it's just uh, the way it is. Uh, huge 
uh, swaths of carbon-absorbing forests, mostly in Brazil, uh, are cut down every year to make room for them. Well, I'm not Brazilian. I don't do that. For climate, we know that coal is the low-hanging fruit, the dirtiest of fossil fuels. On the food side, the equivalent is grain-fed beef. So, dairy. Excuse me. Well, we've had stories about in this country where people are putting diapers on the cows. Right? Yeah. They're putting gas masks over their... Uh, That's not going to uh, stop this. Their uh, oh, noise areas. Right, uh, right. Their noise areas. Well, whatever that is. Okay, okay. Okay, that's enough of that. Right. I thought maybe moving into the new studio... Ooh, that's not a cow. No. You'd, you'd, you'd get over your sophomoric instincts to no. play with these buttons. I think this only brings it out because we're in a luxurious studio and now the... We sound better too, but we now we can reach you right. for the first time. <laughs> Stab me that with the pencil. For the first time in two hundred thousand years of human history, we are severely out of sync with the planet and nature. No, we're not. We're more abundant than we've ever been. Does any facts are any facts backed up with that, or is, it, is that just a statement that's uh, said without backing up any facts? Well, uh, Alexandre Anton, Secretary General of the European Dairy Association, uh, said it, they're going to the extreme to create maximum attention. He said dairy products are packed with nutrients and vitamins. Yep. Christopher Snowden of the Institute of Economic Affairs in London said the report reveals the full agenda of nanny state campaigners. Of course it does. They're going to tell you what to eat, when to eat, and how to eat. We will tell you. Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't like when... uh, We expected these attacks, said Lang, but the same food companies pushing back against these findings realize they might not have a future if they don't adapt. Uh, the question is, does this come by crisis, or do we start planning for it now? Uh, I'm not trusting my government to tell me how much of what to eat. Uh, the, my doctor, yes. You the government, at, no. Look at the behavior of our government. Look at the behavior of uh, Trump. Look at the behavior of uh, Schumer, mm-hmm. uh, Pelosi, uh, that Cortez Marxist. That Beavis and Botox. Beavis and Botox. Do you trust them? Really about very much. Serious question. Do you really trust them about, you think they're going to fix nature? Do you think they're going <laughs> to be able to fix your diet? Do you trust them to involve themselves in your life at that level? They can't They can't have a meeting to get the government back to work. Right. Right. The most important thing that's going on in the world right now, and they can't meet to, to figure that out. No, I, don't, I do not trust them, nor would I ever. Do you trust any of the people in the salon in uh, downtown Minneapolis and downtown St. Paul? Do you trust any of those people ruling from the salon to make wise decisions that genuinely impact your life in a realistic way? I don't. I don't think Neither do I. I don't think they have a grasp on reality. And one of the problems is we as Americans have turned over the political life, political careers to the Mysterians. Uh, yes, and that's why they've... I don't want to run for office. No, I, I will, I'll never run for well, not, in but, Paul, I couldn't win. And it's because even if you are well intended, if you want to make, if you want to be useful rather, rather than, than important, important, even if that is your mission, you realize that once you get there, it's a it's pretty much a losing battle because there's going to be you're going to be met with so much conflict. There's going to be so much uh, resistance to your to what you want to accomplish, it's not worth your time thus, or energy. Thus, a month ago, the resignation in St. Paul of Dan Bostrom, midterm, who's just finally said, the hell with it. Right. I have a son that has... Uh, 
political aspirations. Well, and we have to root for the likes of him. But you, but your Reavers makes a good point. Even if you're crystal clear and solid and have great intentions, you're going to be weighted down by the company that you keep if you get elected because you'll be an out you'll be like Boston you'll be an outsider that can't get anything done. The dreaded outlier. Can I read one more email? I wish you would. Okay. Uh, crocodile ate a woman in Indonesia, by the way. Uh, oh, no. Uh, well, people lose sight of nature. Uh, she was keeping it as a pet. It weighed 1,500 pounds. Uh, it ate her. Uh, didn't work out for her. Wow. Was she feeding it in the backyard? Well, what's it say? Monty would not approve of that. What's it say? A 14, 14 feet long. Oh, my God. Uh, a 14-foot crocodile that mauled an Indonesian woman to death was illegally being kept as a pet. Uh, DZ Tuo, 44, yep. the head of a laboratory at a pearl farm in North Sulawesi, was uh, feeding the crocodile in its enclosure on Jan 10 when she was killed by the 1,500-pound reptile. Mm-hmm. Wasn't fast enough, huh? Yeah. Uh, who wrote this? James, James Hayes. Uh, I was catching up on the podcast uh, the last couple of podcasts, the last few days, while driving back and forth to my aircraft hangar in New Richmond. He nice said, life. He says, think man cave on steroids. Yeah. Joe mentioned his viewing Aerial America and the Smithsonian Channel. His comment about access to the Frank Church was incorrect. That's that wilderness area in Idaho. Mm-hmm. There are many wilderness airstrips that were grandfathered in and are still in use today. So if Joe or any of you guys want to see it up close and personal, I could hook you up. Supercub.org has a fly-in every June out there at the Johnson Creek Airport. I will be flying out there. We fly out to some awesome little strips in unimaginable terrain just for breakfast. IMAX cannot do it justice. Uh, in the most epic flying I've ever done so far in my short life. Float, float plane flying is a close second. I have flown all over Central and South America, from remote Amazon jungle strips to La Paz, Bolivia, everywhere in Iraq and Afghanistan, and a few other stands. Alaska, Africa, Europe, China. Flown over the Mongolia and Siberia and Idaho has them all beat. Joe could also take a raft trip down the Salmon River to get into the Frank. Idaho is remote backcountry aviation nirvana. Isn't that something? Look at this website, Joe. Rook just pulled it up on the big old TCL TV there in the is. studio. Supercub.org. So the website shows landings and all that stuff? Yeah. That's it, cool. He sent pictures of them. Ray of Hope. Aviation seems to be the last bastion of America was and parts of rural America still are. The vast majority of pilots and people in aviation are GLers. Pilots will lend total strangers their car to go to a town to get a meal, drop everything to help fix a stranded plane, or make room in their hangar to protect a stranger's plane from an impending storm. Save old aircraft parts because someone will need them someday. Many little airports have free courtesy cars that you can borrow to get a meal or a hotel room. Just bring it back full of gas. Some of these cars are awesome. 1968 wood-sided station wagons with windows that don't roll up was my favorite. Had a blast at the Summit podcast. Thank you. Uh, Who is this? I said his name. James Hayes. Uh, Doesn't that sound nifty? Look at all this cool stuff they have Mm -hmm. on this website. He said he's pushing back every day. All right. I can imagine he is. Thank you, sir. And thank you for alerting us that aviation might be the last bastion of real America. Man. Oh, I can't see any videos of these. I thought there was going to be videos I did of too. Yeah. tricks and uh, landings and so forth. But you got a bunch of bush pilots, supercub.org. Yeah. I think so. I think so. Yeah. I think so. All right. Let's close her out with that. 
This was brought to you by a Creature Path Golf Course. Get your season passes now while there is a winter discount from Bert behind the desk at the Pro Shop. Find more at garagelogic.com if you want to find out some of the uh, goings-on from Spoon Lake. And, of course, Greg Holcomb's got some great cartoons from 2018 and 2019. Click on the Features drop-down button and you can find out more. See what's on Joe's bookshelf in Author's Corner. And please, if you'd be so kind, don't forget to rate us and leave a comment or two, good or bad, at Apple iTunes, Garage Logic Podcast version. You're one click away for more.